heaven and earth. We're going to be talking about this, that this morning. In the last of our series, Kingdom, the Story, if you want to take your Bible, you can go to Revelation chapter 1. I'm going to begin with a quotation from Will Provine. He said this, when you die, you're not going to be surprised because you're going to be completely dead. Now, if I find myself aware after I'm dead, I'm going to be really surprised. But at least I'm going to go to hell where I won't have all of those grinning preachers from Sunday morning listening. There are no gods, no purposes, and no goal-directed forces of any kind. There is no life after death. When I die, I am absolutely certain that I am going to be dead. That's the end of me. There is no ultimate foundation for ethics, no ultimate meaning in life, and no free will for humans either. What an unintelligible idea. Will Provine was an atheist. He was a professor of biological sciences at Cornell University. He uh, died from cancer at the age of 73 in the year 2015. In contrast, my mother, Helen, is in hospice, and she too is, has cancer and is at the end of her days. But her view of life probably couldn't be any more different than Will Provine's. In her perspective, what she is looking forward to is not a, an exist, a cease, where you cease to exist, but she's, what she's looking forward to is an anticipation that she will be more alive then than she is now. She got this hope from the kingdom story that we have been looking at. She knows how the story finishes, and the ending truly is epic. If you'll start with me in Revelation chapter 1, verse 4, I'm going to pick it up there. John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of kings on earth, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom priest to his God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come. The Almighty the book of Revelation is the last book in the Bible. It's the last in God's story of his kingdom. And it was written to encourage the believers who were under fire and, and threatened by persecution not to lose hope, but that they would see the unseen realities of God in their present, in their past, and in their future. Grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come. I am Alpha and Omega, who is and who was and is to come. And as we've looked at the story, we have seen the eternal God who was there in our beginning. He was, as God creator, he created our history. He created our world. He's spoken into existence and said that it was good. And he created us as human beings to be the pinnacle of his creation. He made us to multiply and commanded us to do so. And he, and he gave us rulership over the earth. 
that we would take dominion and rule over it as those who are submitted unto his rulership. In doing so, the biblical story answers some of the most important questions that you and I might ever have as it simply assumes that God exists. The questions like, who, what is God like? Who is he? And who are we? What is our purpose? It answers those questions. And as you go along in the story, it also answers the question as to, like, why is life the way that it is? We understand from the story that shortly after God commanded man and they, and they were under his rule that they rebelled against God. They decided to go their own way, make their own choices. And as a result of it, the world became frustrated. Uh, their relationship with God was broken off. Death was introduced into the equation. The earth was cursed, so there's frustration. And we see a mixture then from, of good and evil. Man who is created in the, in the goodness of God does, has the capability, the potential to do good things. And so they will raise $15 million for other families that are, that are going through a tragedy because of a crash. But we also see that mankind is infected with evil and so capable of doing evil, and he does, so that he inflicts pain on others with chemical weapons that maim and cripple and kill. It's a mixture and the story's not a fairy tale because this is exactly what the story predicts. That life will be a mixture of good and evil. And my mom's life has been just like that. Helen's, Helen's history was such that she was part of a family who literally had to flee from their lives from persecution in, in the Ukraine because of the evil that was going on there. But came to a country where they received love, they received goodness as people welcomed them into their arms. And throughout her life, she's experienced both the good and the evil. And as she's, as, as she's experienced that, she's come to know God in the present. The God who is. The God who is real in her life. She's known him for decades. She's had a relationship with him for a long time. He's not just a Messiah that we read about who, who lived and died and rose from the dead and ascended into heaven, but he's a God who enters into relationship with people and made it possible for that to happen. And yet, she longs for what is to come. She longs for the more. Even I think as we do, and as all creation longs for more. This week, her and I read out of Romans chapter eight, these words, starting verse 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subject to fertility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to decay and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, we who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption as sons, the redemption of our body. She is anticipating a glorious end because this is what the book talks about. Even as creation anticipates a glorious end, and God in his grace has given us a glimpse of what is yet to come. And although some of the details are somewhat unclear and sometimes argued over with little grace, unfortunately, the rapture, is there a millennium? Is there a rapture? What's gonna happen? When does Jesus come? Is it pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib, all those things. But there are things that are certain 
And we're going to talk about those this morning. We're going to focus on that in the little time that we have. And to be certain, Jesus is coming again. We saw in Acts chapter 1, after Jesus rose from the dead, he spent 40 days with his disciples and he spoke to them about the kingdom of God. And when he was finished doing that, he was with them when before their very eyes, he ascends. He's taken up in a cloud. Now imagine what it would be like to be one of the disciples in that position. What would you do? Like you would watch him and I think your jaw would be open, your mouth would be open and you'd just stand there amazed and stunned. And so it's, it's almost humorous because in Acts it talks about two men robed in white. They appear to the disciples and they say, what are you looking at? Like what are you staring at? As if you, wouldn't, if you shouldn't be staring. They say to them, this same Jesus and the way you saw him going to heaven, he's coming back. Be sure of it. He is coming back. So the time that we live in now, we live between the ascension of Jesus, where he's gone to be at the right hand of the Father, and the time when he's coming back. So we live in the in-between, which means the end has not yet come. It means the story is not complete. The story is not fulfilled. And so if we we think that this is all there is, we've got an insufficient information. It's like going to a movie that happened to us uh, not too long ago where, um, okay, I, I don't see the Star Wars movies. Now, a whole bunch of you are going to hate me. But, you know, Star Wars movies haven't been my thing, but I decided to go because my son-in-law loves it. And so we went. And can you believe it? My first Star Wars movie, I think, in a theater, and three-quarters of the way in, we had to evacuate the, the theater because there was a fire going on uh, somewhere down below. So if I'd have left and never watched the end of the movie, I would have thought that's the end of the story. But my information would have been insufficient, incomplete. There was more to the story. And so it is, as we live our lives today, there's more to the story. There's more to come. Jesus is physically absent. He's at the right hand of the Father. And we know that he's won the victory over Satan, sin, and death. And yet, as we live our lives from day to day, as the early church did, as John was writing to, sometimes it seems like Jesus is not reigning. It seems like Jesus is not ruling And the revelation is given to John to write to the church and to write to us is that you need to see what's unseen. You need to know that this is not the end. That there's more to the story in the present and most certainly there's more to the story in what is to come. In John chapter 14, before Jesus went to the cross, he told his disciples he would be gone for a while. He says, I'm going to be going away and I'm going to be pre- preparing a place for you so that when I come back, I can, I, can take you to, I can take you to this place and you'll be with me where I am. In 2 Peter chapter 3, we're, we're told how Peter writes about people that scoff about the delay of Jesus' coming. And they say, where is his coming? Where is this promise of his coming? Things are the same all the time. Ever since creation, nothing's changed. Peter says they're willingly ignorant of the fact that the earth was once destroyed, deluged with water and perished. And he says, don't overlook this. One day with the Lord is as a thousand of our days. He is not slow. He is not slack to fulfill his promise. But this is what you need to know. The reason for his delay is purposeful. It's that he is patient because he doesn't want anyone to perish. See, the delay is because something that we are certain of. The delay is because there is a wrath 
that is coming. Peter writes, by the same word, the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. The Old Testament prophets often talked about a day of the Lord. It's a day of judgment, a day of terror. Peter writes in verse 10, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief and then the heavens will pass away with a roar and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. We read in Revelation chapter one, verse seven, behold, he is Jesus coming with the clouds and every eye will see him. Even those who pierced him and all tribes of the earth will wail on account of him, even so. John writes that this will not be a secret coming. This will be something that every human being will see, even those who pierced him. And they will wail because of it. It's like the the word means to literally beat one's breast. They will be in agony because of it. Because they will realize, I think, that Jesus came and made a way, as we sang earlier, for each one of us to enter into a relationship with God. His life, his death, his resurrection made provision for our sin so that we could be forgiven, washed clean, and enter into a relationship with the perfect and holy God. So that those who have rejected him will see that there is, there is now no solution for their transgression. Revelation tells it like it is. It's a sober encouragement for those who have chosen Jesus, that they have chosen rightly. And that's one of the realities of the kingdom story, the goodness of God and his good world and his kingdom is contested by the evil of Satan and his followers. And that part of the story of that conflict is clearly pictured in the book of Revelation, but that there is a punishment Because God is ruling, he is reigning, and there will be a punishment, there will be a judgment, but that punishment was created for those evil beings. It was never intended for humankind. God is not willing that any should perish, and in Christ we escape his coming wrath. We see this in 1 Thessalonians 1, verse 9. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. He's talking about those that converted to Christ and to wait for his son from heaven. That's what we are doing. Whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. This is part of the good news that the early church preached that their sins could be forgiven, but that there was also a judgment, a wrath that was to come that God wanted to rescue them from. Save yourself from the sinful generation, Peter preaches in his first message. Paul talks to the people in Athens and says, as he talks to them about about Jesus who's been risen from the dead, he says he has fixed a day, God has fixed a day when he will judge the whole world. So repent, turn to Jesus. That's not what he wants for any human being. Punishment was created for Satan and his evil ones. So the grace of Jesus being up in heaven and us down here, and the result of that, that we still live in this mixture with all kinds of frustration, the grace of that is that it is the patience of God so that those who have not yet come into a relationship with him still have the opportunity to do so. 
Think about that when you're having a bad day and, and you have a relationship with Jesus, but you're frustrated because, you know, the weather's bad. That's part of the curse. Weather's bad. Think about that when you're, you're struggling with your, your kids and they're not doing what's right. Think about that when your body's hurting. This is all part of the curse that came because of man's rebellion against God. But it's part of God's waiting because he's not willing that any should perish. But they would come into a living relationship with him. The kingdom story tells us that God could fix everything right now, and he will when he comes again. All wrongs will be made right, but when he comes, it's over. There's no second chance to enter into a relationship with God and to repent of your sins and to then believe in Jesus. It is appointed unto man once to die and then the judgment. There is no universal salvation. It's in Jesus while you live now. God is not wanting any to perish. So if you're here today and you don't have a living relationship with Jesus and you're at that point where a lot of your or most of your questions are, are answered and you, you're, you're believing that Jesus is the son of God and you believe his story, but you're still waffling on your decision, now's the time. Today is the day of salvation that you can enter into that relationship with God. And all that we're gonna talk about this morning, that's ours, our reward in Christ Jesus can be yours because of your decision to let him rule your life. We will forever be in God's presence. We can be certain of our future. God is eternally with us. Here's the picture John saw of how it plays out. Revelation chapter 21 now. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, a new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. When Jesus walked on earth, he was called Emmanuel, which means God with us. And he did amazing things, miracles, delivered people. He was God in human flesh. But we need to see that his glory was veiled in human flesh. That we didn't see all that there is to Jesus. There is a further glory that his earthly presence veiled. But when, when we see him, as we sang, when his face shines brighter than the sun. Can, can you look at the sun today? Like, it's a beautiful day, finally, in British Columbia. When you go outside, would it be a wise thing to look at the sun? Just full on, no glasses, nothing. Just look at the sun? Of course not. You damage your eyes forever. How, how could we think that we could look at the face of God who created the sun, and yet we will see him as he is, the scripture tells us. We will behold him. He will behold us this is what God has always wanted. We, we read in different places like 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, for, for God has not destined us for wrath. That's not what he wants. But to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Why did Jesus die? We might live with him. Why did Jesus suffer on the cross? That we might live with him. Jesus had that, that goal. He had that in mind that we would be in relationship with him. That's why he did what he did. He wants to be with us. I hope you get the, like the magnitude of that statement. God wants to be with us. That's what he's been working towards. He wants to be with us. So think of a celebrity, someone you, you greatly admire. 
I don't know, maybe they're a musician or an athlete, or maybe it's a, someone in Christian ministry that you don't really know them, but man, you admire them. Wouldn't you just love to talk to that person and spend some time with them? Imagine now you go home this afternoon and they call you up. Hey, I, I, this is so-and-so. I want to come over to your place and spend a week with you. Isn't that amazing? You see what God is saying to his church, to his people, to you and me? Hey, church, I want to be with you. Like all that you've seen that I've done in this kingdom story, do you realize what it's working towards? I want to be with you. Amazing. Behold, the dwelling of God is with man. And we will have been prepared for it. In verse nine of chapter 21, one of the angels says to John, hey, I gotta show you this. You, you gotta see the bride. Who's the, who's the bride? The bride is the church. Verse 11 and on, it, it, it talks about this, this heavenly city coming down. It shines with the glory of God. And, and John goes on to describe the city at length. There's, there's uh, 12 gates which represent the 12 tribes of Israel. The, the foundations are representing the 12 apostles. It, it's showing the continuity of the kingdom story from the Old Testament into the new. That what he's made here is the people of God are made of Jew and Gentile. They're one in Christ and they're precious to God. He describes them as precious. Precious stones and golden streets. And an angel measures this Jerusalem, this heavenly city. And it's symmetrical. It speaks of perfection. And, and in the Bible, there's only one other room, if you have, or, or a building that's symmetrical, that's perfect in that way. And that is in the tabernacle, the Holy of Holies. See, the, the God's people, God is going to be in the middle of them. That's where the relationship's going to happen. God with us, dwelling among his people. Hebrews 11 talks about how the people of faith looked for the heavenly country, a better homeland, and it says that God had prepared for them a city. And John gets to see it. And at the end of that chapter, in Hebrews chapter 11, which is like a hallmark of faith, it says when the perfect comes, like, like John is seeing this perfect kingdom and demonstration of it, we'll all be joined together. They were made incomplete without us. So when the perfect comes, this heavenly city, this heavenly Jerusalem, the bride, God's people, it'll be all those who have faith in Christ, united in Jesus. How exciting is that? I mean, my mind starts to wander and imagine, I don't know how it's gonna work, but imagine like if I get to sit down and have coffee with Moses. Um, man, like what was that like, you know, parting? the sea and how was it when they criticized your leadership yeah I know I know what that's like yeah so we'd have that that kind of conversation what would it be like to sit down with David and have a tea with him and talk to him about his dancing moves and why did his wife get so upset like these are the these are the fun things that I dream about what would it be like just to sit down and talk with John who saw all these visions like wow what was that like or Maybe some of the people you dearly love that, is, that have gone on before you and family and loved ones, friends, just to talk again. Isn't that amazing? We'll be united together in Christ. And in that, as Randy Alcorn has said in his book, extensive book on heaven, God himself is heaven's biggest prize. God himself is heaven's biggest prize. We'll be with him He'll be with us as we live in a new creation. That's the next thing we can be certain of. We're going to live in a new creation. So John has seen this new heaven and new earth coming down to us. 
And he's part of that. He sees this city, which is a natural byproduct of taking a garden and multiplying it over time, investing into it, building culture, developing the elements that God has given. And John adds to it more in Revelation chapter 22 in verse one. He says, then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the lamb through the middle of the street of the city, Also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed. What a different world. But the throne of God and the lamb will be in it and his servants will worship him. They will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads and night will be no more. They will need no light of the lamp or sun for the Lord God will be their light and they will reign forever and ever. We started this kingdom story from the very beginning, the book of Genesis. And now we see all that Adam lost is restored but made better. In Genesis, God created the heaven and the earth. In Revelation, he creates a new heaven and earth. In Genesis, God creates a greater light and a lesser light. In in Revelation, it's the glory of God that lights up everything. In Genesis, the paradise is lost. In Revelation, the paradise is restored. In Genesis, intimacy with God is lost. In Revelation, intimacy with God is restored. In Genesis, the tree of life is forbidden. In Revelation, free access to the tree of life. Tim Chester and Johnny Woodrow in their book on the ascension of Jesus said, the climax of the story is not the replacement of earth with heaven or heaven with earth, but the unification of heaven and earth as heaven descends to earth in a new creation. Colossians 1.20 talks about how Jesus will reconcile all things. Our groaning is gonna be satisfied. The groaning of creation will be satisfied because things are made right and we we'll have a resurrected body. We read in Romans 8 already, and not only creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. John has said, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. In the most extensive uh, writing we have on the resurrection, we see in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 where Paul writes these words about the body we have now and the body that is to come. He says, what is sown is perishable. So this body we live in, we we become all too aware. It is perishable. It's not gonna last forever. It wears out. It is sown in dishonor. In comparison with what's coming, it's raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It's raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body, a body that's going to be empowered by the Spirit. So just the same way creation will undergo a death and we undergo a death, but we are remade new. So creation will experience with us a sort of resurrection where there's discontinuity from what was, but some continuity to what now happens. Resurrected bodies on a new earth, new heaven, And so it seems in that environment, we will rule and reign with God. Revelations 22, five. And some will ask, you know, what will we be doing in heaven? Like what's what's gonna happen? There's a a song by Talking Heads that always bugged me, does bug me. 
The band in heaven, they play my favorite song. Play it one more time. Play it all night long. Heaven. Heaven is a place, a place where nothing, nothing ever happens. Heaven. Heaven is a place where nothing, nothing ever happens. That's so far from the biblical view of what is to come. And they will reign forever and ever. So we're coming to the end of the story. Remember the beginning. What did God do with mankind? What did he create him for? He created created him to rule and have dominion. What has God restored to mankind on the new heaven and the new earth in his resurrected, supercharged body? What's he going to be doing? Ruling and reigning. He's going to take the elements that God has given. He's going to, I think we're going to create. We're going to develop things. We're going to think. Who knows what's going to happen? It's going to be exciting. Like there's so many things that I've wanted to do in this life I'll never have time for. Maybe we will. Maybe we'll. Maybe I can make that movie. Maybe I can fly to that planet. I don't know. But we're going to do stuff. We're not going to have wings and play harps. We're going to do stuff as we rule and reign with Jesus on a real earth with supercharged bodies. And oh yeah, one more thing before we tie this up. Jesus rewards us. Revelation twenty-two twelve. Behold, I am coming soon. We can be certain of that, but also be certain of this. I'm bringing my recompense with me to repay everyone for what he has done. Randy Alcorn had said, in heaven, God is the biggest prize. And yet, this amazing God, this loving, amazing, sovereign God has chosen to reward us for the things that we've done in our life on this earth. How amazing is that? We're so undeserved His grace is amazing. And so we will see the fulfillment of the Beatitudes. We will possess the kingdom of God. We will inherit the earth. We will be comforted. If you've been thirsty and hungering for God and something more, your thirst will be satisfied. If you're pure in heart and you've wanted to see God, you're going to see God. If you've been persecuted because of your faith, you're going to be rewarded. You see how God fulfills his word. It's true to every promise that he's given. Jesus is coming again. Their wrath is coming, but that's not for us. God is eternally with us. We live in a new creation. We have resurrected bodies. We're rewarded as we rule and reign with him. This kingdom pursuit is worth it. So this amazing God story ties everything together. All the subplots are woven together. It leaves no element to doubt, and it fills us with hope as we realize that this is not just a story This is the story, which can be our story as we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. So that as we yearn for something better, in the climax, everything will be made right. And all that we hope for will happen beyond our dreams in the kingdom that is perfect. The smartest thing that we can do today is to live with the end in mind. Live with the end in mind. So what does that look like? Well, if we look at the text in Revelation 21, 22, it begins with worship. It begins with worship. So after John has seen all this he, and saw these things, he, he fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed to me, he says, but he said to me, you must not do that. Don't worship me, the angel says. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers, the prophets, and those who keep the words of this book. What should we do in light of what we've seen The angel says, worship God. Worship God. 
So when we gather together, like we do on Sunday mornings, or if you gather together in a week and somebody's got a guitar or you can do this without a guitar, part of what we do is it should be we should worship. We should worship in song. We should worship with everything that we have to our ability, our bodies. That's why we raise our hands. That's why we clap. That's why some people dance and move around a bit. Because we should direct everything in, in gratitude and praise and awe of the God who writes this story. But, but it doesn't just end in this hour, hour and a half we have here or an hour we have on a mid, midweek night. All of our lives is to be worshipped. Everything we do is to become worship. How, how can my role as a father, how can that become worship to God? This is how we need to be thinking. How can my role as a grandparent, how can that become worship to God? How can my role as a son or a daughter, how can that become worship to God? How can my role as an employer, how can that become worship to God? Or as an employee, how can that become worship to God? How can my role as a, as a citizen of my country or my, my province or my city, how can that become worship to God? In my neighborhood, how can my role as a neighbor become worship to God? How can every breath that I take, every food, piece of food that I eat, everything that I drink, how can everything about me become worship to God? Because that's what God deserves in light of what we have seen from beginning to end. Worship. Living with the end in mind with worship. And I think when we live with this end in mind, we, we, we witness to the future that is to come. See, we have been given the spirit today to do that. It's a foretaste of heaven. It's a piece of heaven. The Holy Spirit was given to us to, to have a piece of heaven and to begin to live like heaven, to begin to live like the kingdom of God has come and bear witness to the world that is coming. So let us live differently with a solid, unshakable hope in the foundation of the person and work of Jesus Christ, who's entered into God's presence before us as an anchor to our soul, that he has died and he's risen from the dead, and he's coming back, and he's going to make everything right in all our yearnings, all our longings, all our groanings, will be over as he fixes everything and forever we will be with him. My father at the end of his life uh, was stricken with cancer and I watched what it looks like for a man who believes in Jesus and loves Jesus and believes his kingdom story. What is it like for a man like that to die? On his last weekend, we got together as a family on a, it was a Thanksgiving weekend and we all got together. Um, we had got a special bed for my dad so that he could be at his residence with my mom. And it was in a separate room. And it was an amazing weekend. And on Sunday, uh, dad prayed for all his kids. He laid his hands on us and, and blessed us. It's amazing. I had, we had a guest who had come with us that observed what was going on with our family. And, you know, after the prayer time and stuff, things are going on. And and then at some point in that time, I looked into the other room and here was our guest and my dad was there on his bed and he was having a conversation with her. And really my last words of my father was hearing him ask her if she knew Jesus. Like that's all he wanted in life was for people to know the God that he knew, to know Jesus that he knew. The next day, we'd all gone home and my mom retold to the rest of our family what had happened on Monday. Uh, she was in another room when she heard 
from dad's room. Um, he was uh, not screaming, but almost sort of yelling. Can you see it? Can you see it? It's beautiful. He had sat up on his bed, like looking out into the horizon. Can you see it? Can you see it? It's beautiful. Shortly thereafter, he uh, passed into a coma and, and died a couple of days later. But it makes me think sometimes as we read the story, can we see it? Can we see it? See, repeatedly in, in John's revelation, he says, and then I saw, then I saw, then I saw. Can you see it as you read God's word that there's an end coming? Jesus is returning. Can you see the hope that we have and the life that God has for us for eternity? Can you see it? Can you see it? Can you see it? Let me tell you, I believe it's beautiful. It's beautiful. Now let's live with the end in mind. Jesus is coming. There is a wrath but Jesus came so that we could escape that. And God is eternally with us and we're gonna live as new creations in new resurrected bodies. And we will rule and reign with him as his rewarded sons and daughters forever. Now tell me that isn't a good story. Tell me that isn't a story to live. Tell me that isn't a story to share. And so we read at the end of 1 Corinthians chapter 15 after Paul has talked about the resurrection of the body, he says this. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Let me pray with us together. I'd ask you to bow your heads. And if you're here this morning and you don't have that relationship with Jesus, um, he wants that for you and he invites you into it. And I'm gonna pray a prayer that we can all pray. You can say this in your heart. Just be talking to God. We're gonna, we're gonna ask him to be Lord of our lives. We're gonna ask him to rule in our lives. And, and if you wanna do that for the first time, you, just, you can just enter into this prayer and say, Jesus, be, be the ruler of my life. And, and he translates you into a whole new, whole new life from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his dear son. And all that we talked about in the future becomes yours because of your trust and your saying yes to Jesus. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you. Thank you, God, for this amazing story that speaks of your incredible greatness and love towards us. Your power, your might, also your humility. Today, Lord, we want to declare that you rule and reign. And we ask you to rule and reign in our lives in every part. Forgive us of our sins and be truly our God today as we confess Jesus Christ as Lord, the one who lived, who died, and is coming again. Amen.